0: What's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host, of course, Canucks insider Thomas Trance also covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, Avenue avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews, Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Man, lots going on. I mean, it it is a a Canucks game day at at Madison Square Garden and all that. We'll talk about that at some point. But as much as we kind of opened the week saying, like, oh, we're into this kind of quiet new stretch of this Canucks season, right? The Boudreaux thing's been resolved. They extended Kuzmenko. They traded Bo Horvat. That all unfolded, you know. By the All Star Break. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of chatter and a lot of interesting reports and interesting tea leaves to read right now around this team Drancer.
1: Yeah. Suddenly the daily tire fire, to quote Elliot Friedman on the matter, right? Is sort of reemerged. And so Yeah, but it it's not even like a daily tire fire
0: necessarily. It's more like, I don't even know. Like
1: just, oh, I, I know what I think it is. Are you ready? I, sure. I think I can define this. I think effectively we're at a stage where everything that's going on is a reckoning, right? It's like the bill is coming due for this organization in so many different ways, right? And so we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but the threads are being pulled that were sort of left frayed mm-hmm. when the club rapidly changed direction last November, Right all of this team's short-sightedness over accumulation of years sort of coming to bear all at once and creating a stress on the organization, like the stress of losing, the stress of hopelessness, the stress of having no assets, of having too many bad contracts. Like, it's all, it's a reckoning. This whole season is a reckoning for the Canucks, and I think that's why you're beginning to see, you know, the seams just about everywhere around the club. Where where do you want to start? Because there's yeah, a bunch of... We want to take like a guided tour <laughs> of all of the sort of simmering, because you're right. It, well, that, it's it's it, it, simmering more than it's on yeah, fire. Yeah,
0: like the garbage fire thing is... Tire. Or the tire fire, fire thing. Yeah. Excuse me, excuse me. Come on. Um, you know, your reaction to those is, or at least my reaction is like, oh my goodness, here we go again, what's going on? Whereas... These ones and, we'll, and the ones we'll start talking about—they're not though. That's not that sort of reaction. It's more like things that you make you kind of scratch your head. Things that make you go, "Hmm," you know what I mean, and say, "Hmm, what's going on here? What exactly should I make of this?" And there's a lot of that happening right now. And I want to start with um, something uh, from uh, from our airwaves, from uh, our pals Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah on Canucks Central last night, and of course, Sat. Very, very plugged in, always uh, with great insight to what the team is thinking, to what might be happening in the future. And Sat had an interesting report that got, or I don't know if I want to call it a report, but some uh, interesting commentary yesterday that I know got a lot of traction on social media as well, making the point that Canucks open to moving basically anybody other than Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, and that could even include JT Miller. Here's Sat and Dan from last night,
2: and I don't think we're at that stage yet where anybody's making any, any real offers or they're even considering offers, because Demko's just getting on the ice. Like he's not at a stage yet where you can fully explore that. So I think if somebody really wants Thatcher, they could talk to Vancouver about it. The question is, is anybody willing to meet the price? And I think that goes for everybody else outside of Hughes and Patterson, Dan. Like I even think JT Miller. And we talked to Frank about this, and like it wouldn't shock me if we hear some rumors about teams calling on JT and Vancouver's considering it potentially. Like it wouldn't shock me, not because they changed their mind on him necessarily but because they realize clearing cap space isn't necessarily going to be easy and if somebody's willing to give them the flexibility and the futures they're looking for they would consider it like if somebody came calling and said we take the entire JT Miller freight and we're giving you a first and a prospect I mean I'm not saying they do it but would they consider it I can't imagine they wouldn't consider it right so I don't think they're in a position where they're saying no to anybody unless they're asking about two players really so yeah, make an offer worth thinking about. I think that's what it comes down to.
1: That tells me, or it
0: makes me believe that they're reevaluating just or have reevaluated just how far away they are or how close they are to turning this around. That is Dan Riccio and Satya Shah on Canucks Central. You can get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Very click hole. Like, the worst person you know made a great point. Sage.
0: (laughs) How dare you? How
1: dare you? A sage response from my nemesis, Dan Riccio. (laughs) Absolutely crushing it with what that would mean if this were a top-line consideration. Now, I want to share two quick reactions from Sat's commentary on Miller. First, you're not getting a first and a prospect well, and here's you're taking yeah, the full freight. The, the kind
0: of flashing headline that a lot of people took away from it is, like, Canucks would consider trading Miller, but that follow-up is very, very important. Like, if—and <laughs> that's a really big if—if
1: if somebody's taking the full freight and giving you valuable assets in return. Which you're not getting. That was my I first I certainly reaction. wouldn't think so. No, no. Certainly no, 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 wouldn't no, no, no. think so. No, you're not getting it. Period. The second part of the reaction is, you, you sure could have. Like, all of that could have been achieved— yeah, including avoiding the entire freight of his salary. <laughs> which, which is which is where, you know, the conflict, the idea of the organization considering the possibility that they may be further away than they thought um, becomes such a fascinating one, right? Is such an interesting potential change of direction because, I mean, we're not far removed. I mean, three weeks ago Monday... Jim Rutherford scoffed at the idea that this team would turn it around. Um, it would take as long as three years to turn this around. Two weeks ago, Monday or Sunday, Patrick Alvin explicitly described how he told Rick Tockett this wasn't a quick fix, and Jim Rutherford said that major surgery was mm-hmm. required. That was that was Rutherford, right? Yeah, surgery. that was.
0: I think that was Rutherford at the same press conference where he expressed skepticism, like the three-year thing, and then and that I think was it. Was later. Well, but I thought that was one yeah. of the takeaways, right, where I was like, wait, hold on, you're saying major surgery, but also it. that it's, okay. you know
1: what I mean? You probably have a better memory for that, <laughs> even though I was in the room both times. <laughs> um, no, and I'm not, sorry, I'm not, that sounded like I was, <laughs> that sounded like I was patting you on the head, but I, no, seriously, I believe you were right. It, I am I believe you were right. Anyway. <laughs> that was an incredible delivery. Oh yeah, I'm sure you remember that other than me. The guy who was in the room. No, and, and what's funny is I meant it earnestly. Like I truly meant. Like even though I'm I was in the room and forgot. You have it, you know. Like oh and then I gosh. and then I realized that it sounded like I was being. Well, I'm sorry. I was being a jerk, just not in the way I did. Not in intentionally. Anything. Well, <laughs> story of my life. Um, okay, those are my first two reactions to, to that commentary. Mm-hmm but i think what deepens in some ways my level of interest in this potential storyline the idea of the canucks potentially deciding that they're further away reevaluated right. where they are and and by the way that conversation also started with the idea of the club considering demco as a trade chip and we all know what that means in terms of telegraphing how far away this team is right this team there is no direct route back to a playoff spot that includes trading thatcher demco this, this I think we can all agree on. Yeah, I mean, that's about as major as surgery
0: gets when you're trading your goalie who, at, from Jim Rutherford's own perspective, was, was so goalie. vital
1: to the success you were able to have since he's been here. So this is from Elliot Friedman's latest 32 Thoughts column, which you can go read at sportsnet.ca. Required reading for hockey fans on an every week basis, in all its forms. There's been a push from some in the Canucks organization to keep Luke Shen... Writes Elliot Friedman while linking Shen to the Boston Bruins and the Calgary Flames. I think, and this is his opinion, but Friedman doesn't offer his opinions lightly. It depends on what's offered. If Vancouver deems it too low, they won't move him. But there's plenty of interest, which generally pushes up the price. There's been a push from some in the Canucks organization to keep Shen is the loaded term there. So, look. Some in the organization doesn't mean some on man in Canucks hockey operations. No. Did the wording change? I feel like I saw it originally differently. Mm, that's how I read it. Okay, uh, I originally. could be wrong about that. I I believe so. Fair enough. I read it last night, so yeah. Um Okay, so some some I think implied on Twitter that it was some in Canucks management. Right? But, in fact, it's someone in the organization. Yeah. So that could be Rick Tockett. It that could, be could be Rick Tockett being like, I really like Luke Shen. And, by the way, that's a healthy – Would love to have Luke Shen around. That's a healthy dynamic. Like, you want a coach who advocates for his guys because he's the guy, at the end of the day, who you want to be winning. Yeah, and like also – you, you, you want their entire
0: focus to be on winning. Like, the fundamental tension between coaches and management is coaches always want the guy they like forever, right? It's like, hey, do you, a coach, any coach, not just Rick Tockett, would you rather have Luke Shen or a second-round pick? It's like, well, of course I'd rather have Luke Shen because I can put Luke Shen in the lineup right now, and I know he's going to do things that I like, and I have no idea what the second-round pick is going to be. So it's not – if if it is just
1: Rick Tockett, like, that's very understandable. That's what coaches do. Well, coaches and, want the guy who's here. They don't want the future. And there's, a, like, there's an old Brian Burke quote about how coaches have to coach and managers have to manage in part because a coach – believes that they can't live without x third liner but a management has to know how easy or how difficult it is to replace that player yeah right and that's again completely healthy normal dynamic but there is an implication there that you know if it's not talking like if it's not coming from the new coach that maybe there's some sort of a discussion internally on exactly Mm -hmm. what route the organization should go in now before we move on here because i think that points to an in an interesting direction vis-a-vis the discussion we were having with Rick, t- about Rick, oh, sorry, about Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford. yesterday, uh, and and some things that have come to light, both in 31, 32 Thoughts, and from uh, Patrick Johnson of the Vancouver, or uh, Post Media. Sorry, I always want to say he's the Vancouver province, but in fact, they're all one now. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we got to talk Luke Shen really quickly. Yeah, I mean, I... I...
0: Like I tweeted about it this morning, I, I saw it. He's a thirty-three. He's a thirty-three-year-old pending UFA. You're twenty-six
1: in the standings. But like, I also want. I also <coughs> want to note this: the Canucks went out and signed three right-handed defensemen at, to NHL-only contracts on the same day that they hired Luke Shen or signed Luke Shen. Luke Shen made the least of the three. Right? Like the story of Luke Shen is not Luke Shen indispensable piece. The story of Luke Shen is look how cautious you should be about paying for depth defenders because the guy you rate third might in fact be better than Travis Hammond and Kentucky Pullman. Mm-hmm. right? Like the story of Luke Shen is not, isn't or shouldn't be this guy's irreplaceable. It should be, Hey, like player evaluation is hard. And sometimes if we bring in two or three of the same type of players, so long as they're cap neutral, we're going to find one guy like Luke Shen and that's far better than committing a lot more money to guys that might not be better at all. Like that's the story of Luke Shen. Luke Shen's Luke Shen's emergence in Vancouver was a surprise. He was a healthy scratch for the first 30 games of his Canucks tenure. He played 18 total games for the Tampa Bay Lightning on their two runs through the Stanley Cup final. He entered free agency and chose to come back to Vancouver in part because he thought this was a place where he could show that he could be a top four defenseman or like a, an everyday guy. And he's emerged as this guy who's like third in scoring among pending. Well, I might be tied for second in scoring now. Among uh, He's actually been passed by John Klingberg, unfortunately. So Klingberg,
0: third. Yeah, Klingberg now has 19
1: points. And, but Shen, Shen has, has 18. 18. Okay, yeah, so, so he third. added one. But Klingberg, well, Klingberg had passed him a little while ago. Okay. Uh, I'd had to reduce it to third uh, a couple days ago. Sad. Yeah. (laughs) We'll always have the (laughs) glorious moment where Luke Shen was second among pending UFAs. Um, Okay, so, again, the argument for keeping Shen is that the options on the open market are terrible. Right? Right. You could look at that and say, okay, well, if this team wants to be good next year, then Luke Shen might be better. You might be better keeping off keeping Luke Shen, who's probably going to be cheaper to stay here, given mm-hmm. his homes in Kelowna and the familiarity and on and on, than you are going out and trying to replace him and probably failing on the open market while paying a guy a lot more. Except the real logical conclusion here is not that at all. It's if this defense is that far away from being rebuilt to the point that Luke Shen is an absolute necessity for this team to keep, then maybe you shouldn't be trying to make the playoffs next season at all because you're not going to, because you're not going to, right? We'll we'll get into this a little more because there's a point I want to make about the 2023 versus the 2024 draft classes, Um, you know, setting up the Islanders game on Thursday, but also talking about why this is a unique opportunity for the Canucks. I'll do that in the next segment. It is like, honestly, it's an unserious argument to the point of being like adolescent to pretend that this, the, the, the question of trading or not trade to like to trade or not to trade Luke Shen is not a serious debate. An organization that even considers it or bases it on price isn't serious about winning period, period. Yeah. I hope that's a description that doesn't apply to the Vancouver Canucks, but make no mistake if that's a serious internal discussion, it's going to depend on the price. Then this organization is so far away from avoiding, you know, compounding the reckoning they're already enduring. I, I got that response on Twitter
0: too, right? Well, you know, you can't really have that debate until you know what the price is going to be. And look. No, you can't. Well, But also. I don't care. Hold on. We know, like, what's the <laughs> absolute floor? Like, the worst return you could imagine. A fourth round pick? No. <laughs>
1: What's the guy who just went for a third? Yeah. A four- or was Magna. that a fourth? Magna, right? Was it a fourth? Yeah, it was a fourth. So that's that's the absolute floor. Right. And, and, but but there's no way. Exactly. Like, so there you go. We live in a world where Ben Sherratt and David Savard just went for firsts in consecutive so, seasons. Yeah, you're right. We don't know
0: the exact return, but we know the ballpark with actually a pretty d- significant deal of precision, given this type of player and the track record they have. S- somewhere between moving. a second and so a fourth. it's not particularly hypothetical. Would you do it for a fourth-round pick? I sure would. And if if you would, then oh, that's yeah. it. Answer over. Debate over. Correct. And it just feels like people are trying to reinvent the wheel here. Like rebuilding, as much as it be- it's become this weird dirty word in the NHL and especially here in Vancouver. It's not a new idea. Like if you're at the bottom of the standings and you have a 33-year-old pending UFA, you trade them. That's what you do. That's how teams get better. People are like, wow, a second-round pick. They might never play in the NHL. Okay, that's true. But so what? So you never should never pick in the second round because there's uncertainty there? Those things have value, and it just feels like you're out thinking. You're trying to galaxy brain it. Like, there's a reason that this is a normal, bog-standard way to do business across sports
1: for decades. It's because it makes sense. Why are, why are we trying to reinvent the wheel here? Well, what's more arrogant than insisting consistently that you can defy gravity right like this organization has tried to defy gravity for a decade and guess what the apple still falls on newton's head it is what it is all right let's move past this into the rutherford conversation yeah let's
0: talk so rutherford we brought it up uh yesterday in the show right the reporting first from steve simmons and then elliot friedman mentioned it with jeff merrick yesterday the speculation That Jim Rutherford is uh, wanting out of Vancouver. And uh, there's been a few on the record and off the record denials. Now I know Rick Dollywall and Donnie and Dolly said he had texted with Jim Rutherford. Rutherford said there's nothing to it. Friedman reported uh, today in 32 Thoughts or last night I guess. He says for the record. Jim Rutherford denies he is considering resigning from the Canucks. Vancouver's got a lot of decisions to make on and off the ice. But he's determined to lead that process. Uh, and then Patrick Johnson, as you alluded to, reports that Rutherford is not going anywhere. But he also quotes a source who says of Rutherford, he's stepping back a little bit. So those are, I mean, that there's again, there's a lot to chew on here, right? There's first of all, and this is not surprising. We said it yesterday, like Rutherford's a competitive guy. He talked openly about this is a challenge. He's up for a challenge. We all know he wants to Obviously, he has that drive to be successful here, so I'm not surprised at all uh, about this reporting. But even that, it comes with some of those things I was talking about earlier that kind of make you go, hmm, right? Another reference from Elliot Friedman about off-ice decisions that the Canucks have to make. What does that refer to? I'm not exactly sure. Uh, And then the report from Patrick Johnson in the source saying that Rutherford is stepping back a little bit. And you just, you add those reports in with, okay, all of a sudden Demko's name is out there in credible trade reports from Friedman, from Emily Kaplan, as we talked about yesterday. You know, our own Satyar Shah saying, yeah, maybe the Canucks would be open to even moving JT Miller if the price was right. The Luke Shen thing and how there's disagreement internally, potentially. We don't know exactly at what levels, we don't know between who, but there is some disagreement within the Canucks about how to proceed on Luke Shen it all adds up to create the situation where it feels like there is internal uncertainty about what the next steps should be. That That's the, the best way I can kind of
1: figure it out. Well, but why wouldn't there be considering that, you know, it might not be a quick fix today, but this club has been clear that they're not tearing it down for a long time. Right? They extended Kuzmenko even as they traded Bo Horvat. Like we are in this moment and living in this world where, if anything, it feels like the organization may be coming to a dawning realization of what should have been obvious 12 months ago, which is that this team isn't good enough and has no direct path to getting good enough with any with any sort of speed that doesn't involve them thoughtfully dropping to the bottom of the standings. Like that, that's the only sort of suspense. Does that interact with... Rutherford's decision, um, or or this possible uncertainty that the hockey world is discussing, that the hockey world is discussing whether or not um, it's true or not, and Rutherford says it's not true. We should defer to his statements, but I, I think that's an interesting dynamic here in in terms of how it inter- interacts with everything. I want to I want to quickly. I know we're going to run a little over on this segment, but I want to quickly touch on what Ben Hankinson, mm-hmm. Brock Besser's agent, told Ben Kuzma in Post News. Uh, in which he confirmed that yep. the Minnesota Wild and the New Jersey Devils were among the teams, um, that he, who's been given permission to talk to other teams about his client, Brock Besser, has discussed a potential trade framework with. He was on Donnie and Dolly today and discussed the matter. Let's, uh, let's run that audio.
2: Like I said with Brock, I do have a close relationship with, with, uh, with Patrick and Jim, and we, yes,
0: we've ta- talked about a lot of possibilities, with Luke, so um, you know, obviously we're not going to discuss them publicly, but you know, we haven't gotten, you know, to the point of of making a decision either way on anything. But um, you know, it's, it's
3: something
2: that you know we will we'll cross that bridge with them in the next three weeks.
0: That's uh, Ben Hankinson from Donnie and Dolly on Check TV speaking about uh, Brock Besser.
2: So
1: there's Hankinson on Besser from Donnie and Dolly today, but. To post media, it seems like he's confirmed a couple of teams which Mm -hmm. are interested. You know, it it says a lot about where we're at with this team that that didn't even cause anyone to bat an eyelash, but I've never seen that. I've never seen an agent being given permission to talk to other teams for a trade by the player, by the team that the player plays for, confirming possible destinations. Like, that. that's new. Um, It's also substandard. Like, I don't think that's... I don't think a team should permit a situation to be that far outside their control. I I can't imagine New Jersey and Minnesota would be thrilled about it either. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and let me bring up this too. Club trades Bo Horvat and goes away for the All-Star break and returns from the All-Star break. And Anthony Beauvilliers plugged into the top line in Brock Besser's on the third. And within, what, 48 hours, this this gets out? I mean, that's another thing that causes you to furrow your brow. Well— yeah, and I mean, the
0: Brock Besser thing, it does seem like it's really gained steam since Bo Horvat was traded. And I know, you know, there was reporting after the Horvat trade that both Horvat and the team were really happy to get that taken care of and that there might be some similar urgency to get the Brock Besser situation taken care of. And, you know, you, you add the Beauvillier thing to another reason why,
1: okay, it's clear this is at an end. Let's wrap it up if we can. Yeah, I want to be clear here too. I don't think... I'm not critical of Ben Hankinson here in any in any respect, right? Like I've never seen it before, but I for me it's just a level of control that the team shouldn't be ceding to an agent, particularly um, with how publicly this is now played out. I want to add to it that you know, once again, in this world where rumors of discontent are, you know, surrounding this organization both both in the locker room and in the executive suite. Right. And the way that this is now played out with Besser dropped to the third line again and then the confirmation coming to post media and, and again reiterated on Donnie and Dolly um, all just sort of adds fuel to the tire simmer <laughs> or the tire fire that we're discussing. And this has been your guided tour of today in <laughs> Canucks dysfunction. We'll get into more in, in terms of Luke Shen and on and on in the second segment.
0: Yeah, we sure will uh, I want to read some of the texts that came in People are fired up, there's so much to talk about 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line More Canucks talk coming up on Sportsnet 650
2: Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports With Halford and Bruff in the morning Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify Or wherever you get your podcasts
1: well, Here's Barzell, they score!
0: That's right. Scenes. Scenes in Long Island last night. The Horvat chance. Scoring his first goal. He hit a, Assisted. Po- he hit a post. Assisted by Coquitlam's Matt Barzell. Well,
1: and they have instant chemistry. I don't like if if the Canucks had acquired Bo Horvat, okay, say like let's like flip the script. Yes. Say the Canucks had acquired Bo Horvat to play and this would be the tenor of Canucks talk today. I still think the risk makes no sense. But you gotta give a lot of credit to Lane Lambert for putting for putting Barzell and Horvat together right off the bat. Horvat's gonna like Horvat Horvat's ability to find open space, find soft areas of coverage is something that wasn't high end for him even like four years ago. But he's he's added it to his game in a really impressive way to a point where now you see those two play together. And I've watched a fair bit of their first, of Horvat's first two games. Um, you see them do it together. He's going to, there's going to be a lot of goals that look like that. Well,
0: Barzell, nice for a, a goal scorer like Horvat, nice guy to have playing alongside you. And it, it's just, I can't help but thinking, like, remember all the minutes you spent with Louis Erickson? And go down the other the list of other guys on his wing Bear here, G, Bear G, et etc. Yeah, we got like to the Tanner point. Pearson. Well, we
1: got to the point that when Tanner Pearson came and got put on his line, people were like, Phew! "Wow, yeah." And I like Tanner Pearson; he's done a lot of good things for the Canucks. But, but... And then they and then they never found a third guy for that line. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, that's true.
0: It's just so sad. And now he has Coquitlam's own Matt Barzell. There
1: you go. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean. It is sad. Now, now he's a roving backboard for one of the great transition playmakers in the NHL. It's a perfect fit, honestly. Stylistically, seeing it, it's a beautiful fit. Uh, this person, Thompson, stop adding salt to the wounds. <laughs> what? I'm just telling you <laughs> hey, how I would be talking. There's going to be even more salt tomorrow, in all likelihood. Do you, do you think he goes to Foley? <laughs> I saw I saw Halford and Bruff <laughs> wondering if he'd do the um like the green Megazord. The Green Ranger Megazord. What was the name of the Green Rangers? Tommy, Megazord? I believe. No, that right? was that was oh. the name of the Green Rangers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, what was I the name no of idea. the Green Rangers Zord? I have no idea
0: what you're talking about. I was impressed when I came up with Tommy. So, um, what was the name of the Green Ranger Zord? The Dragon Zord. <laughs> Is Dragon Is that Zord? what you just yeah.
1: asked it me? It was the Dragon Zord. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Well, they're playing the Rangers tonight. I figured. I figured Power Rangers. Power Rangers were timely. Sure. And yeah, anyway, Dragon Sword. So it's like Dragon Sword, doo, 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 doo. rising from just off the coast of Long Island. Stomping. Oh my goodness! I will. We see that from Beau tomorrow. I want everyone to
0: know. I don't usually disclose our off-air conversations, but just just prior to coming on the air, you told me that you weren't going to go on as many digressions <laughs> today. And then here we are. It's twelve thirty-five. And what was the name of the Green Ranger Zord? <laughs> Wow, what great
1: theme music, by the way. Very good.
0: Very good. Okay, so... Hold on, hold on. I want to read some text before we get into your next thing. Uh, No, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, This one, uh, Trucker James, why not talk to Shen? Let him know that you're going to trade him, but you will sign him in the offseason if he wants to return. Seems like a pretty smart course of action to me. Now, it's not a guarantee. Like, the player's still going to go to UFA, and they're going to have a chance to talk to other teams, but... It seems much more plausible. Like, people were texting that in about Horvat, and it's like, that's not happening. It's much more plausible with Luke Shen, to me, than it is for your normal UFA who you're trading
1: at the deadline. So, managing the relationship is really key here, right? And look, managing relationships is always key, right? Like, if the Canucks had... Traded Andre Kuzmenko, for example, right? Managing that relationship, like even though he has no trade, no form of trade protection, I think if you had gone that down that route, considering that he chose you over 22 other teams, considering the relationship with Dan Milstein, considering how important the European free agent route is to this franchise, and you know you want to, you don't want to miss out on the next Kuzmenko because you traded Kuzmenko, right? Like, you know, managing that relationship, where would you want to go? will only trade you to certain teams would this work for you right like that that would be worth doing now Shen is doubly important to do this with first of all because he's got a lot of credibility among his peers mm-hmm. right second of all because he's got a family situation uh, involving his wife's pregnancy mm-hmm. um, with you know uh, so you want to make sure that his family's comfortable and if you're trading him like if you're trading him you want to do it quickly so that they can get settled. You know, you don't want to be past, like, a certain trimester where, sh- where they can't travel and on and on, right? Like, you want to be uh, doing this the right way because that's what a class organization yeah. should do in terms of how they treat people. Thirdly, forget Luke Shen coming back and signing as a free agent, which I think should be an option. Luke Shen lives in Kelowna. Like you're telling me Luke Shen might not have utility down the line as like a scout or a player development guy or like a coach. Like Luke Shen, what do you want to do after your playing career? We have to trade you because you're 33. But like we love you. You're the best. And if there's ever anything you want to do in hockey, like first of all, we're going to try and sign you in free agency. Secondly, we're going to try and move you quickly. And to a destination that works. To a destination that works for your family. Notable that Friedman
0: referenced Calgary in that discussion. Right. Obviously, like another Western close. Canadian team. Yeah.
1: And, and we're going to do it quickly, but we have to move you. We're going to pitch you in free agency, and we want to maintain this relationship, because down the line, if there's anything you want to do in hockey, we want you to be part. We want you on this team, and it's not your fault You just that you, we have to trade you, but it just doesn't make sense now. So down the line, we want to keep the relationship. Right now, we want to keep the relationship. We'll do right by you. Yeah. Uh, Like, all of this is implied when I'm talking about, like, yeah, you have to trade him. I'm not saying you have to trade him and be, you know, inhuman about it. (laughs) This isn't fantasy hockey. No. Like, you have to factor in the human part of it and deal with it the right way. And in Shen's case, I think he's earned the respect to be dealt with a very specific way that, you know, includes, for me anyway, um, doing it relatively quickly. Uh, and and probably doing it to a place where him and his family are comfortable in in, in from the perspective of you know, growing their family further in the months to come. And the good thing
0: about Luke Shen is, you know, for all the reasons we've talked about a lot, he's such a desirable asset that you can do both. Like, it's not like oh, yeah, yeah. you're ceding him all this control, and then, oh, there's only one team that's a fit, and then you don't get as good a return. Like, do you want to stay in Western Canada and go to Calgary? Do you want to have another ride with Tampa? Like, Boston, wow, that's a really first-class organization. You know what I mean? You're not limiting yourself. You can no. do
1: the right thing and still drive a hard bargain for his services. Oh, 100%. And, and here's the last... Here's the last thing I want to say. I know, like, I don't want to just be talking about this without explaining, like, I know that internally Shen's, the family dynamic, weighs heavy on the minds and hearts of Canucks decision makers. Like, I'm not saying that they're not going to go about this the right way in in explaining why I think they should go Mm. about it the right way. I think that's top of mind for the organization as it stands. Right? So this is not, I want to be... Clear, because I don't know that I captioned it right, being like, this is how it should be done. Um, I think the organization will do, do right by Shen. And even Ben Hankinson, I know, who was on Donnie and Dolly,
0: was saying, you know, we're talking to the organization, we're having those conversations, there's a bunch of different things in play. So yeah, I mean, I think you have to do it, as you said, the right way, but that shouldn't prevent you from doing the right thing. For your organization. No, now, I,
1: I can talk about Shen all day. Sorry, do you have more texts? <laughs> I just wanted to read this last one.
0: Eh. Uh, Hold on.
1: <laughs> so, well, it's more—it's eh.
0: it's, two quick texts, but we'll move on. The decision to trade or re sign Luke Shen will have zero, zero effect on the Canucks' next playoff berth. Eh. Relax, you guys. Wrong. If they think re signing him is more important than a fifth round pick, You're that's wrong. fine. In response to that, I want to read this text from Jeff from Mission who says, People fixate too much on the return and not the fact that they could package the return to get something else. Very true. First of all, to the first texture who was unsigned, it's not going to be a fifth-round pick. Second of all, even if it was, they just got Ethan Bear for a fifth-round pick. Like, again, this idea that any pick outside of the top 15 is this ugh, this worthless junk asset. Like, no, it's not. They just got their second best defenseman for a fifth round pick earlier this year. Even if that was the return, it would still be worth doing. As Jeff Vermission says, it's not that you're like, oh, I hope we'll strike gold in the fifth round. You can use them to do other things. So I just wanted to get that off. It, it look. Of course, there's always a chance the return doesn't end up meaning anything. But you got to give yourselves uh, those assets that you can do different things with.
1: Oh, so sorry. Did I cap? Did we caption? By the way, it's third among right-handed defensemen. Yes. I just want to make sure that yes. I'm. Uh, slicing this up the right way to exclude Shane Goss' bear. Um, okay, I want to talk about, really quickly, one other factor that needs to be considered. If you're keeping Luke Shen, you need to extend him. Right? Like, you're not going to keep him past the deadline... Oh, no, 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 ...without no. a contract. So, you're going to need to do a deal in the next 25 days. and Or less, because it's a short month. 23 days. Let me read you the top 10... Pending UFA D, who are right handed. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Because I think this is instructive. Nick Jensen, John Klingberg, Luke Shen, Severson, Van Reemsdijk, Clifton, Mayfield, Shattenkirk, Dumba, Justin Hole. From a defensive standpoint, right? Like, defense is their calling card. As opposed to you know the the sort of Tyler Myers type where it's like yeah I mean you know they they might be big and physical but they're more offensive mm, than defensive mm-hmm. in terms of their impact. Jensen, Mayfield, Hole, Shen, and I think there's teams that would prefer Shen given his physicality over most of those players, right? With maybe the exception of Jensen. I'm I'm a huge Jensen fan, but there are people in the industry that are really concerned about his neutral zone gaps, like his defense. Um, Mayfield, you know, Mayfield is probably the closest an- analogy to Shen, yep. but also has a reputation as being Lou Lamorello's son. And so I would expect that he doesn't actually shake loose, despite the fact that he's expiring. And Justin Hull, who's like the one physical right-handed defenseman that hockey people don't overrate. (laughs) I don't know why, but Justin Hole is like immune from the is overrated by the old hockey guys because he's a big right-handed defenseman thing. Um, You know, you can go further down the list and you'll get to like Hammonick and Radko Gudis and and stuff. But for the most part, I mean, there's not a lot of guys if you're looking for defensive or defense-first defensemen who match Shen's description and appeal... In unrestricted free agency, and again, we live in a world where Ilya Labushkin is a two point seven five million dollar player, and Yan Rud is a two point seven five million dollar player, and Tucker Pullman makes two and a half, and you know, go on down the list. David a t- Savard a team traded four. a third round
0: pick for Travis Hamonic with three million dollars on his on his deal totally. last year.
1: Totally. So, like, you're not getting Shen flat, right? Like, Shen- no, no, no. It's Shen- not. He's not coming back on the on the he, sweetheart deal. He might be a three million dollar player. I
0: don't think it gets to that. Although, oh, I mean, Eric, buddy, Eric and will, Branson did the four x four. I will take is...
1: you. I will. I will take over. Like we can have a friendly. Yeah. I I I bet you Luke Shenz, I will I will bet you uh, pizza at a place right. lo- nearby. Maybe a sponsor can step up uh, over two point nine five m. Wait, if right a sponsor now, is stepping bet. up, then who's buying the pizza? <laughs> well, uh, sponsors. Sh- Stepping up to host
0: it. Okay, I see I see Wait, wait Sorry, <laughs> sorry I was distracted by that I know like, you're like Generously putting your money On the line Don't worry A sponsor will cover it a Anyway, over will Over
1: 2 I, I, like, wait, I, What was it? 2.9 you said? 2.95 2. 2. 2.95 So I'm basically implying three. AAV I'll take Yeah, I'll take the under Alright, yeah. alright Fun Yeah. Good We have a little show bet now Anyway Very good Anyway You have to bear that in mind too And here's the last thing This is the Shen thing I wanted to get into I was talking to a amateur scout today the and I was I was talking to the amateur scout an amateur scout today, and I was really like top of mind was really the Islanders' pick because I was looking through Dom LeCision's projections, mm-hmm. and he currently projects the Islanders to finish in a tie between fourteenth and thirteenth from last with the Nashville Predators, which means they would confer the pick to the Vancouver Canucks unless they decide not to. And this is uh this is an interesting thing, right? Like even if the conditions are met, the Islanders can decide to hold on to the pick. And do you remember when the New York now- let me okay. Let's let me clear this up. I I it maybe doesn't I'm misremembering. Conf- it this. doesn't confer automatically based on the rules.
0: I thought it was if it's in the top twelve, they could still choose to confer it. Well, they
1: can they can, but still... it's, it's
0: optional no matter what.
1: Correct, it's optional.
0: Oh, so they're if they're picking fourteen or fifteen, they're keeping it. If they're picking thirteen or fourteenth, they're going to keep it
1: they this might. year. I mean, they I can, would be... they can decide to. No, yeah. I, I would expect that truly they it will confer based on the conditions. Mm, like I I, I, I would expect that there's a reason that it's drawn up in that manner. But I would add this: the New Jersey Devils. Do you remember when the New Jersey Devils, with Lou Lamorello managing them, yeah,
0: had they had to give up a draft
1: pick, they had to and they give were up. picking? It was the year they went to the finals, right? The Everyone was like, "Oh, they'll give up the pick," and they so, didn't. And the and the room, the rumor was that they loved Andre Vasilevsky. Which good job, like good scouting work, <laughs> yep. well done. Um. But the the rumor on the draft floor in Pittsburgh that year was that they, but yeah, they'd gone to the finals in 2012, and they had the 29th overall pick and they held it, despite now, granted, the league ended up sort of reversing that pick when the Josh Harris ownership group came in. Yes, so, so maybe Lou had a different escape plan in mind. But like, this is a guy with a history, certainly, of um, <laughs> of holding tight. Yeah. To his, well, that's to, the thing. Like, it just it seems. <laughs>
0: It's, it would be very surprising to me. Like, doesn't Lou Lamorello think, let's say they have the 14th pick this year. Doesn't he think, well, I'm going to do all these great moves and we'll be picking 25th next year. Like, isn't that just his mindset? You know what I mean? So of course I'm going to pick, uh, or I'm going to p- keep this pick right now. Cause we're going to be giving up a way worse one next year. Well,
1: and so here's where this also interacts is the. 2024 class is shaping up to be very different from this one. Now, not at the top end. Like, there's still some prospects to be really excited well, about, including celebrating I mean, it is, dif- it is different at the top end
0: because there's no Connor Bedard.
1: Well, sure, right? but I'm just saying, there's yeah. still going to be really, really... There are still rewards for being last in the league next season. Like, fabulous rewards. Yeah. But down order, it is a much weaker class. Like, the OHL class is shaping up to be... Again, this is mostly conversations with an amateur scouting content. Like, the a- OHL... Players are shaping up to be pretty meh, um, pretty pretty light group of talent out of the queue. Uh, all the US national development team players outside of Iserman are overagers. Sweden looking a little bit lean. Like it's it's just a totally different level of talent than what you're going to get in 2023, down order. Like a second round pick, forget trading a second round pick in my mind, because a second round pick this year could be like Etienne Morin or or uh Tanner Molendike, mm-hmm. who are like <laughs> will be the would be the Canucks' best defense prospect that they've had since well, since before Yulevi first sustained his injuries in that draft plus one season. I mean Well Quinn Hughes was a Canucks defensive prospect. Right, okay, sorry, okay. Quinn Hughes. Yeah. But uh, and and not prospects of that caliber. Yeah. But my goodness, like so far above and beyond what the Canucks currently have, and players like that are absolutely going at a second round draft price. In the 2023 class like it's loaded and the Canucks have two firsts this year one conditional and an extra fourth from the Tyler Mott trade so they're relatively well positioned but like this year if there's a year that you can accumulate like next year the 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 rewards are are lesser Uh, a second or even a third round pick this year is worth more in my mind than picks down the line. Considering where this team is positioned, how they're positioned, how far away they are, like, these are the picks to get and make. The Canucks' future, if it's going to be bright at all, it it rests in Nashville in late June. Like, that's such a crucial moment for this franchise. They need as much weaponry, as much artillery as possible, because there are some really interesting prospects, really good players that are going to go, you know, in that top 100 range, top 150 range. If you if you're able to get out of there with eight of them, seven or eight of them, like then we're then we're cooking. Then, then at least then you have a chance to cook in a couple of years. So usually I'm on the get draft picks because they're good trade assets thing, and I'm not necessarily opposed to it if a Devon Taves type opportunity presents itself. But I actually think this is the year to make them. This is the year to make them. Yeah. Well, especially I mean you're gonna have
0: you're gonna have a high first round pick and a high second round pick. Right, because you're you're bad. (laughs) Maybe not as bad as you want them to be, but you're bad. So they're right. Like you're starting from a really strong spot already. I would bet on them making the Islanders pick this year. And you know, as much fun as it would be for Canucks fans to really like root for the bottom to fall out of the Islanders and 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 be a lottery team next season for that unprotected pick, they're they're plus two twenty to make the playoffs, and that looks pretty tasty. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, they like you could even make the case, right, that you would rather them move up a little bit so they definitely keep the pick rather than risk flirting with keeping it this year and kicking it down to next year because, as you said, one, the discrepancy in the draft class, and also just like Lou Lamorello is not—he's going to do absolutely everything he can to at least have them hold steady in the standings. Like, there's not going to be any bottoming out. They have Ilya Sorokin, they have Barzell, Horvat, Pelik, Pulak, Dobson, like there's talent there that it's pretty difficult to see the to see them ending up in the bottom five where you're really cashing in on that un- unprotected pick I think man if you can pick 14 this year you get that extra second or extra first round pick this year in this draft class that's the dream scenario even though it takes the ultimate kind of you know oh my goodness could we draft in the top three with the islanders pick even if it takes that off the table like man get another pick in this year's draft class. You had another second in a Luke Shen deal. All of a sudden, you're looking at you know four top fifty picks. That's the kind of thing that can
1: really dramatically reshape what your future looks like and your prospect pool. Looks then like you're in cooking a hurry. anyway. Then you're cooking. So, you know, part of this Luke Shen discussion that I think does need to, or part of the discussion needs to factor in the cost of retaining him, right? In addition to the opportunity cost of not getting draft picks in this particular draft, where the talent available at all positions, but especially along the blue line, is just so much higher than what you're going to have an opportunity to net, even if you sell again, at next year's deadline until uh, a pretty fun-looking 2025 class comes comes about. And then we got our guy Gavin McKenna in 2026. Yeah, James- Who, by the way. Well, no, but seriously, there's going to be three. Three of the next four draft classes are massively impressive. Right. Like tremendous and headlined by guys who are famous at the age of 14, 15 in the way, you know, think about LeBron James, like LeBron James was famous at what 15. Fifteen, Yeah. You know, and he's uh, in sports. Sometimes, you know, really early, there's three guys who meet that barrier, like jump over that barrier um, coming in the next four years. And the draft classes in 25 and 26 are, are going to be really good as well, like really strong. But 2024 is very much a question mark. 18 months out. I think that needs to factor into a team that's this far away's strategic thinking here. By the way, uh, speaking of Gavin McKenna, our guy for the
0: 2026 uh, draft, recently recalled to uh, the medicine hat to to the the Dub dub. Had two points in the showdown against Connor Bedard. Of course he did. So there you go. He's uh, up to eight assists in 11 games in the... in the dub, a lot of those as a 14 year old. Very, very impressive stuff from our guy, Gavin McKenna. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can continue to get your thoughts in. We will uh, turn our attention uh, to the game tonight. The Canucks are in Madison Square Garden to play the New York Rangers. Game five of the Rick Tocket era. We'll hear from the coach, Rick Tocket, take a look at the matchup as well. More Canucks talk coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance here with you. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, Avenue avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. At Kintech.net, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Sportsnet 650 has teamed up with the Clayton Public House in Surrey to bring you the big football party on Super Sunday. That's this Sunday, February 12th, hosted by our very own Randy Janda. You can reserve your table now at the ClaytonPub.com. There's going to be tailgate and drink specials, plus special prizes throughout the day. Kickoff is at 3.30, the Clayton Public House. Good food, good people, Good times. Uh, yeah, I mean, hey, we spent the first hour talking about other stuff because there's so much going on, but it is a game day, Drancer. They're playing the Rangers at Madison Square Garden, 5 p.m. start tonight. Uh, and I got to admit, I'm I'm excited for this one, right? Like We started the week off by kind of talking about to what degree and how much of a slog this was going to be for the remainder of the season. And, I mean, that Devils game was fun. They lost, but it was fun. You look at this one. Hey, Artemi Panarin, Adam Fox, Keandre Miller,
1: Jimmy VC Revenge Game, Jimmy VC Revenge Game, yes, the VC Revenge Game,
0: absolutely. Hey, shout out to Jimmy VC for uh, sticking in the NHL after a tough, tough twenty games here in Vancouver in difficult circumstances. To be fair,
1: <laughs> was it that tough? What? He, yeah, he played really poorly here. He was fine. The Canucks should have used him more. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't play well. No one played well except oh, that's what Matthew. I mean. it, was Highmore. Di- it was difficult circumstances. <laughs> Twenty games in the North Division season, it was tough. Yeah, Uh, but I'm in. I like had to drive himself to Ottawa. Remember the Canucks (laughs) fans like went and did the Zapruder film Uh, photo of
0: his car. (laughs) I forgot that was Jimmy Vc related. Uh, So good, so good. This this
1: this market is so funny. It
0: truly is. It's amazing. That's an all timer right there. Um, but yeah, like hey, should be a good crowd at MSG. Fun players to watch on the other side. Get to see the kid line. Yeah
1: what could have been a <laughs> Filipino, oh reportedly um, we're not doing that we're not doing that um it's the Jimmy v- we are doing the Jimmy VC revenge game but we're not doing that um should we talk about the New York Rangers model with the honest letter oh the uh because fans yeah. love it when you bring up other teams models yes
0: but also <laughs> that has like and I've, I'm someone who has advocated for a kind of direct statement of some sort from management to fans about this is what we're going to do. This is our plan. Not in like, like you know, a
1: 20-point Phil- bullet point But thing. like a Philadelphia Flyers thing. Yeah,
0: but just yeah. like, a, hey, here's what's going on. We know the situation. Here's what we're going to try to do about it. There does seem to be – like people have really glommed on to the Rangers. Like, hey, the Rangers sent that letter, and then a bunch of stuff happened, and then they got to the conference finals. You know what I mean? Like, it, okay, they wrote a letter. That's cool. They did some interesting things after that. I feel like it's taken on kind of an outsized importance for a lot of people.
1: The thing about the New York Rangers model is that a lot of it is not replicable, right? Like, people brought up draft lottery luck when I brought up the Devils model Mm -hmm. earlier in the year. And I thought that was, uh, I think that's a little ridiculous considering, you know, the Jack Hughes luck is massive, but they also had the Heischer luck and the Canucks get Elias Pettersson and Elias Pettersson's the superior player. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, with or without draft lottery luck, if you're drafting high in the draft order, you know, you you could get Heischer and Hughes, or you could get Pedersen and Hughes, and guess what? Pretty much the same thing. I mean, it's not quite. Jack Hughes might be at a different level, but, like, it's pretty close. It's not—the the difference in the fortunes of the Devils and the Canucks are not lottery luck based. Now, in the Rangers' case, moving up as far as they did to get Kako and Lafreniere— is a totally different matter. Like that was historically that, that was the that was the luck that caused the NHL to fix the draft lottery. Yeah, change the draft lot. The, the interesting thing
0: about that though is those guys aren't drivers of their success. Prime drivers of their success right now. They're contributors. Yeah, they're not busts. No, but right? what, but they're not. It's not like oh, those guys changed everything overnight for the Rangers.
1: No, but what really mattered was getting. You know, they made seven picks, or sorry, six picks in the first three rounds. In 2018, including drafting Ke'Andre Miller, including drafting Nils Lundqvist, who didn't work out there but is a pretty good player, and right? they got a first round pick back for, and they got a first round pick back for, and Joey Keane, who's a really interesting right-handed defense prospect now in the Carolina Hurricanes organization, and why is he in the Carolina Hurricanes organization? Adam Fox, um, you know, and then they and then they made th- four third round uh, four picks in the top three rounds that in the, each of the next two years. And part of that is you get, you know, Zach Jones, who's a really nice player, guy I have a lot of time for, and Braden Schneider, who's like a prototype of, of like the sort of prospect that you'd be thrilled if the Vancouver well, Canucks had I mean, a player
0: like that. How how much do we hear his names in the J.T.
1: Miller talks yeah. last year, and how
0: he was not on the table, even though the Canucks desperately wished he would be,
1: for sure. So that's sort of where, you know, I, I think it's meaningful now. The Rangers also benefited from the sort of circumstantial luck that I don't think the Canucks can count on at the moment. Uh Jacob Truba sort of driving the bus and, and making sure that he landed in New York. Um Artemi Artemi Art- 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 Panarin Art- attracted Art- Art- by New York. Oh, well, and signing and leaving real money on the table to play there. Um Adam Fox. Adam Fox. So yeah, that that plus the lottery luck makes it an incomplete comparison. But the Rangers amassing a ton of picks using a lot of them, including multiple first rounders on defensemen, right? They had some whiffs in there too. Like, first of all, you'd say Kako and Lafreniere haven't delivered. You'd also say Kratsov, who's another top 10 pick, mm-hmm. hasn't delivered, right? Like, it's not like this has been a perfect process for the Rangers, but they amassed so much talent so quickly, and it has paid off and given them a totally disparate ceiling from, you know, certainly, certainly a lot of other teams in the Eastern Conference going forward here, Because of the volume of futures that they accumulated rapidly. I mean, the Rangers are the perfect example of how taking a step back doesn't have to be five years. That's really more than anything. Do you need luck for that to be true? Yes. But you still position yourself to maximize uh, how quickly you can do it. If you're a a deep-pocketed team willing to spend on being bad, and if you're amassing picks. Well,
0: and I think it's a good example of the importance of being flexible even if you're rebuilding totally. right not that artemi panarin or adam fox is going to fall into any team's lap but yeah as you as you say like rebuilding doesn't mean you're committing to not trying to win games for five years if this if an unexpected opportunity presents itself and it doesn't have to be the same type of player as artemi panarin right but if there's you know a devon taves who's on the market or a john marino who's on the market right and you say oh actually this is a guy who makes sense long term for us and he's available I do think you have to be, you have to have the flexibility, not just in terms of assets and cap space, but in mindset to do that, right? You can't be so committed to the tank and the rebuild that you're not willing to add good players like that. I think that's an important lesson. Now, again, it's not always going to be, you know, all-star top of the NHL type players uh, like those guys are, but yeah, just be open to exploring different avenues of improving your team and taking advantage of the chances when they come. (laughs) Come around and this, somebody texts in, New York Rangers model, one, be in New York City. Two, get Fox to sign here. Three, get Panarin to sign here.
1: There is some truth to no, that. No, no, there is. There's a and lot no of truth one, to that. No one would argue with it. Yeah. But, but you can't ignore, like in particular, you can't ignore the work that they were able to put in rebuilding their blue line through the draft. The Adam Fox part is the part where you probably can't replicate or count on that, obviously. But like Ryan Lindgren comes in the Rick Nash trade, mm-hmm. right? Jacob Truba, yes, chose New York, but also is they deal Neil Pionk for him, who was an uh, NCAA free agent that they were able to sign. Uh, Adam Fox, Joey Keane, who had this. Sort of spike season in the OHL and was like a really good prospect helps them get that deal done. Keandre Miller is a first round pick. Braden Schneider is a first round pick. Lundqvist is a first round pick who becomes a future first round pick once uh, they realize that you know it's a little bit oil and water with him in the, and the and their coaching staff. Um, and they've still got Zach Jones coming. I mean, that is it. it may be not perfectly replicable, but it's a good indicator of what it takes to rebuild your blue line, and it involves amassing picks, making future oriented trades at the deadline, right? Uh like that that's it. That's that's how they've done it in addition to their sort of ir- irreplicable luck. And and so don't ignore what you can learn simply because you can't exactly model it or count on getting some of the breaks that they did. You know, there's still there's still useful lessons there.
0: Yeah, and this person texted, while I agree you need to stay competitive during a rebuild, doesn't adding players to improve your team defeat the purpose of a rebuild in terms of losing games to draft high? If they were doing that right now, the Canucks, yes, it would defeat the purpose but let's like let's play this like kind of alternate universe out where they had kind of more intentionally bottomed out this year to take a shot one at Connor Bedard but also at just the generally loaded top of this draft class like yes in that situation you're not going to pounce on the good players that become available probably but as to me as soon as that one year is over then you're in not all in mode where you're, you know, trading picks and signing massive UFAs, but you're looking for those opportunities to add the players. Because again, I just don't think you have to commit to two, three years at the bottom of the standings. I think there are years like this one, especially for the Canucks, where it makes sense to be okay being at the bottom of the standings. But it's more, it's less about actively trying to be bad to me than it is just taking the long view. So, yeah, you. There's always that trade-off. When you're on the way up, Okay, are you going to push in too soon? Are you going to cost yourself some lottery odds by adding this player? But ultimately, the goal is to be good. The goal is to be a Stanley Cup-building team, and you have to be able to identify when it makes sense to add that player if it's actually pushing you forward on that road. And this person texted it as well, Montreal rebuild is a better comp than the Canucks
1: can aspire to and of course both initiated well, by well except yeah Jeff Gordon yeah. um except that the Montreal rebuild's still nascent yes it's it, it's I, in I its mean, early stages there's a long road to run there um for the for the canadians they're not going to be good next year even they're no. No, they're probably not going to be good the year after and that defense core especially because I'm not nearly as high on guys like Caden Gooley as as a lot of the industry is like i i mean i don't know if they have a single I don't know if they have a single guy on their blue line who's part of a top four when they're good. Truly. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a long-term project. Yeah.
0: But I mean, that you could argue is another similarity with the Canucks outside of Quinn Hughes, right? Like
1: that it's an extremely long-term project where you got to find a ton of talent, oh. especially for that blue line. Yeah. Except I don't think a rebuild needs to be that long. And and I don't think that the Habs need more than one more down year, to be totally honest. Yeah, Exactly. That's the yeah. thing. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be five years.
0: I. I that's one of the big misconceptions I think a, about. A, a rebuild the idea doesn't guarantee anything.
1: Yes. No. The only guarantee is that not rebuilding. Signing this Luke Canucks <laughs> team. Signing Luke Shen though that guarantees lots. Well, that guarantees Luke Shen. Yes. And Luke Shen's a good player and a really good person. You know, I feel Luke Shen's one of the first times I've ever felt really conflicted talking about like, hey, they really should trade this guy because he's such a good dude, but it's also so there's. There's no argument against it that's a good one. (laughs) There's just not. No. It's not even like a sports talk radio argument. You know, it's just like, no, it's obvious. Um, I've noticed and been enjoying the, uh, like, Don Taylor, the legend on Mm -hmm. Donnie and Dolly. Like, he's so red-pilled Team Rebuild now. It's so funny. And I do sort of think that's an interesting, like, barometer. Of where the market is. You know, like, Don Taylor is not a Canucks Army blogger. This is a guy who's maybe never said the word Corsi in his life. (laughs) And and he's like pure rebuild mode. I think that's a good barometer of exactly where the appetite in this market is these days. Like, once Don Taylor started, like, interrupting Rick all the time, being like, who cares if they're bad? They should do that. That's, That's when I think there was a sea change.
0: It does feel like well, there's always been appetite for the team taking a step back, but even Not like, like this. you know the Don Taylor example is a good one, but even just like listening to Jeff Merrick, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, and they'll be like, hey, I think the Canucks should bottom out this year to go for Bedard. You know, that's like a fairly extreme suggestion from kind of your classical
1: mainstream hockey journalist, but it's out there. Like people are well, people are on board with that take. It's out there, X file style. No, it needs to. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> For good reason. It has to be out there. Uh, Let's
0: hear from uh, Canucks head coach, Rick Tocca. We'll talk a little bit more about the game against the Rangers tonight. But first here is Rick Tocca. Who's your goal tonight? Uh, Martin. Martin. Any other changes from
3: the other night? No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think I I I mismatched a couple in the third. but I might mismatch again tonight. So we'll see. We'll We'll see. All right. Sounds good. I
0: know you obviously hoping to get
1: Demko back, but do you, do you have a plan for the two other guys in the meantime or are you just planning to kind of rotate or see if one or the other takes...
3: The- yeah, I'm really re- relying on uh, Ian Clark to, like uh, to, to kind of, you know, I just got here to kind of get a flow or a feeling. Um, so, um, relying on him a lot to make yeah. the goalie decisions right now.
0: How do you feel it's been going so far?
3: Uh, good. I, I mean, it's it's been a, like I said, it's been here two weeks and uh, there's... There's things you want to change, but you got to be careful. And um, I just like the attitude. Like, we're we're trying to change the way we play. And I've seen some really good steps on changing Mm -hmm. the way we're playing. You, I mean, there could be more changes
0: coming here before March 3rd. So is it kind of managing, figuring it out through then, and then maybe after, as you close out the regular season, when you know what you have, is more of
3: a steady approach for you? Yeah, Yeah, I I think it's important that, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, guys. Go ahead, Mark. You're the more important news me right on live television. Yeah. Is this live? <laughs> um, well, I think this, you know, the situation you're in, you know, with, with, I don't know where the trading deadline is, six weeks, where you're just managing, talking to players, making sure where their head's at. Because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I call it noise, and that's what happens around this time. So it's really important that you're a pro and you stick with it and stay focused. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here. Manage that. That noise around the, you know, around the trade deadline and stuff yeah. like that. But once that's passed, then you can at least laser in on what you, you'll know what you have at that point. Right? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, I'm in evaluation yeah. stage. I'm trying to figure, you know, you know, who can do what. You mm-hmm. know, we're we're still trying to find some guys that, you know, who can penalty kill for us. Mm-hmm. You know, who can I rely on along the wall? There's, you know, there's certain points of a game that you're looking for to evaluate what can, what can a guy do in these situations in mm-hmm. pressure situations. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. does it kind of feel like you're coaching in training camp, but in the regular season with a shorter roster than you would have in training camp? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it hasn't been the greatest. Like you know, you get one practice, then I get nine days, oh, three yeah. games, nine days off, and then uh, you know, three and four. It, it, but this is the stuff that uh, when you're when you're a good structured team and you got good hockey IQ team, and you know, you, we have eleven and twenty two days. This is where you where you have to rely on on that sort of stuff to win games. Uh, all these teams, all teams go through these stretches. So that's the fun part, just seeing how guys react to this.
1: You had a really good first game against Chicago and then a really bad next yeah. game. You were pretty good effort against New Jersey. Are you curious to see how they respond if they maintain that or whether there's a
3: reaction? Yeah, uh, well, it's hard to do, it's hard to play the right way all the time. It, I mean, it's really hard, it's hard to win. Um, what I like is, you know, I'm not a big analytics guy, but you know, I felt that we've kept our shifts shorter. I think our third periods have been strong in those games you mentioned. Uh, uh, even the Columbus game, you know, we've out doubled out chance team in the third period. That's think it's because we got juice um, and the way we're playing a more North style, and to play North South and you got to have juice. So that's why I've really want, I really, I didn't like the management of the, the, the shifts. Uh, for some guys early, but I like it now, and I think we got to stay with that.
0: You, uh, I mean, you didn't really have a relationship with Bo or that, but a lot of these, everybody in there did. Yeah. So I know you're playing tonight, but you'll, these guys are going to see him tomorrow. You'll see him tomorrow. Yeah. How hard is that to separate the friendship from the business? when it's that
3: close yeah I, I think it's it's initially it's a it's a kind of a jolt but then it's you move on i mean it's that's the history of nhl you know it's happened to all of us where a good buddy's been traded um and guys that get traded here become best friends too so um so it's i i think guys understand um you know like i said bo's big fixture here you know and you know time passes and you know, scored. You know, he's an Islander now, so you just got to you move on from it. But, uh, yeah, I, I I think guys are pretty good to know that, hey, this is a business and you got to move on.
0: That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett already fielding the Bo Horvat questions, even though they're not playing the Islanders until tomorrow. Uh, and this text comes in, can you play ZZ Top during all of Tockett's pressers? <laughs> did enjoy it in the background there. So that's one of the perks of the team being on the road. You get those nice rink, random ambient rink sounds uh, during the team's availabilities.
1: I don't know, man. <laughs> Drives me nuts. What, this easy top? It's
0: flavor. Yeah. It's local
1: flavor. Static backgrounds, no, no, uh, no ambient noise. Those are Oh dear. <laughs> um I'm just wired to think this way, right? Like that's that's how I'm wired to think. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough.
0: Some of us like to live a little. Fair. <laughs>
1: Sure. Sure. We're gonna, we're, Let's, gonna have, we're gonna have like detailed We're gonna have to edit I'm this an, out of the I'm not an analytics guy debates while uh while easy top, top plays? plays. Yeah.
0: No, I mean Oh, I don't care. To that's be just clear. something coaches say. Yeah. Like as have coaches ever has a coach ever come out and be like I live and die by analytics? No. That's not going to happen ever. That's not how it goes. And I like I don't know. People can jump on that, but that's that's not how analytics are going to function in the NHL. Or if it is ever,
1: we're a long, long way off from that. Well, also, also, you know, he was captioning it before he introduced a stat. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, we, but we've outchanced our opponents two to one in those. You know, so it's like. Yeah. Anyway, he's he's disclaiming it while also
0: using, using it. it, so yeah. that's fine. That's <laughs> no, no. I obviously wrong. wrong I obviously don't care at all. Uh, and the interesting, um well, I mean, Rick Tockett
1: Talk- Talk- coached for John Chaka's team. You don't think? uh You don't think? No, I've I, I don't really think that Chaka should be recognized as like an analytics GM. He's not really of the analytics movement as we sort of consider it when we talk about analytics, but it's like clearly he worked for a data-driven organization Mm -hmm. and we never heard it was a problem. No. So I I don't think
0: you should be... uh, If anyone is jumping on that line, oh, he's against analytics, I I think. Slow down. Slow down on that one. I couldn't care less. But, you know, the overall thrust of it is, again, just about this is a learning opportunity. And somebody even asked him, you know, does it basically feel like training camp, like an extended in-season training camp? And, you know, he again references, like, Who can kill penalties for us? Who can I rely on on the wall? Right? Like, it's very much the fact-finding stage of the the job for Rick Tockett. And again, you know, I was saying, like, I'm looking forward to this one. I think it kind of shifts my mindset as well into, like, okay, at least, like, what is Rick Tockett looking for? And can we start identifying some of those things in these players? It puts games like tonight which obviously, other than, you know, lottery position, don't mean anything for the Canucks in a different light. And, you know, you and I have talked about how, like, ultimately these things and what they're going to learn over the remainder of the season. It's marginal. There still needs to be that, quote unquote, major surgery from Jim Rutherford, et cetera. But it's still it's still important. And it's still interesting to kind of see how that process plays out and who's a rise or who's a faller, who kind of plays themselves in to a potentially more significant role
1: down the stretch here. Well, so I was thinking about a point Shayna Goldman made, which was that the Canucks really should be playing JT Miller at center for the rest of the season. Right. Uh, on the And I hadn't sort of thought of it in those terms. But, of course, the moment she said it, I was like, yeah, that's exactly correct. Right. Like, you know, I, I looked over Cam Sharon's data yesterday mm-hmm. from the Devils game, for example. And Miller didn't have a scoring chance and didn't set up a scoring chance. And I don't think that line had a five on five scoring chance. So that's not great. That concerns me, right? That's consistent with what I've been worried about whenever the club plays Miller in the middle uh, over the course of the season. And yet, like, what's the harm? At this point, you might as well just stick with it. You might as well just keep going because you got to see, you got to know, you got to have an answer. Like, does this team need a second line center? Even just like a warm body to fill that role next season? Or not, because that massively changes your off season priorities.
0: Oh, absolutely. And again, that's not even like a you know we're trying to push for the playoffs or not kind of thing. As you said, even if playoffs are the farthest thing from your mind going into next year, you're going to look for a cheap option down the middle if you get your answer on. Because I JT don't Miller. think
1: I don't think you want to go Pedersen, Ratu, no, Lazar, uh, Oman, Oman. Like no, you're going to need no. I mean, ideally, you want two middle six guys. If 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 Miller not one of them. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean if Miller is one of them, Patterson Miller, Ratu, Oman with Lazar on the wing is is fine for a team that's not trying to make the playoffs.
0: Although with Ratu, like if there are questions about okay, what does he need to do to stick at center, questions about his skating, I mean, does he stay in Abbotsford for an extended time next year as well? Like that wouldn't shock me. I I, I would be a little hesitant. Again, it depends I think on what the team's goals are. For next year. Yeah. But that wouldn't shock me if they say, you know what, we're gonna be really, really patient here
1: with this guy that we just uh, just acquired. Yeah. Rather I, than push him into the third line center role. Or I whatever. could see it. I could see it. I you know, I think you can design a role, like a bottom six role at the NHL level where a player can develop in the league. I, I think about the Bo Horvat role where he mm-hmm. like always played with Dorset, right? And then they eventually found Ronald's Kennens for that line, but there was like a rotating cast of like faster veteran fourth line guys that they played with, and that fourth line was awesome. Super cool. And they played a consistent number of minutes, like 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, versus, like, the Jared McCann design. Yes. Where it was, like, he was all over the place. He was in another lineup, right? Like, he was on the third line. He was on the... And there was no consistency whatsoever. Like, I think you can design a bottom six role, you know, especially if you have a fourth line that you can play a fair bit. And Rick Tockett's shown that he's willing to play his fourth line a fair bit, right? Like, he's leaned heavily on his fourth line since he came in, I think you can design a, a development path in the NHL, especially if your team's not, you know, all in on making the playoffs. Yeah, and
0: I guess the other part of that is you have your coach now too, right? So you're more confident that the development environment you want at the NHL, NHL level is going to be there than maybe you would have been if it was still... Uh, Bruce Boudreaux here. But anyways, that's uh, that's looking down the road. <laughs> a little bit really interesting to see what happens. Talking about the need for a second line center, potentially. Uh, somebody just texted in, Sheldon Dries! Hey, Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett's been impressed uh, with what he's seen from him so far. And you know, the other thing that uh, is interesting, obviously you said JT Miller at center, just see get absolute every last data point you can on how that's going to work. And Tockett referenced uh, no changes to the lineup or the lines except... In the third period, I believe it was in New New Jersey, Pod Colson kind of switched with Dakota Joshua. Pod Colson got some time with JT Miller, and Tockett. I think, was kind of alluding to that might continue to be the case. And, you know, Pod Colson is very much in that. Like, one, you just want to put him in the best position to succeed and gain as much confidence uh, as he can for the final stretch of this season. But I think you also do want to be gathering information about him, right? Like, Tockett talked about, hey, we're looking – we're looking to see who can help us on the penalty kill. Could that be Vasily Podkolzin? Who can help us on the wall? Can that be Vasily Podkolzin? You know, I think even you look, you look at the power play, and now that Bo Horvat is gone, they stuck Bovillier there, right? And they're kind of just they, – they've been using a bit of a different formation with Miller more of the net front and moving guys around a little bit. But on the power play, like, yeah, experiment. Try some different guys out, right? Like, you always know you have – as long as Miller's here and Pedersen and Hughes, you have those guys as kind of the backbone of a really, really strong power play. But for the rest of the season, why not try some different things out, right? See what you've got. See, see who can be useful now that there's a big hole opened up instead of Bo, instead of Bo Horvat being there.
1: Yep. Well, and I like giving Bo a a meaningful shot sure. there, but I also think you need to find a way to get Brock Besser involved, especially if he's on the block. And clearly, he is. It certainly seems like it. <laughs> His agent is talking to specific teams. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure something out with Brock. Like, he should be on the power play anyway. <laughs> guys, guys, look at his five-on-five scoring this year, and people are talking about Brock having a down year. And it's like, yes, the defensive play has been poor, but I thought his forechecking played against the Devils. I thought he was really good in that game against New Jersey. Um, Maybe keen on making an impression, um, but uh, but you know, like most of most of Besser's you know, poor scoring rates are he hasn't been a factor on PP1. Like, come on. You would think so, especially... What's the harm in showcasing the guy for the next three weeks?
0: Well, unless you think, like, at this point, it's not... What he does in the next two to three weeks isn't going to move the needle for a trade, so... Go with the guy who maybe you either want to keep Or you might want to trade down the road Anyways in Beauvilliers, but I don't know, it does seem like There's an opportunity to get a better More power play time, final segment coming up Keep your texts coming in uh, Maybe talk a little bit more about the game get, ba- get back into some of our earlier discussions As well It's Canuckstock here on Sportsnet
2: 650 A standing ovation For Paul Horvat. His first game as an Islander.
1: What's the chant here, guys?
0: What? I don't know who that commentator was. Were they were they asking rhetorically what the chant is? Okay. I was like, excuse me, what's the chant here? What what are they chanting? What? Uh, welcome back to Canucks Talk. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trans here, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Producer Dom is just relishing and really rubbing it in to Canucks fans. Seriously. Bo Horvat talking about, that. wow, I've never, had a, I've never had an arena chant like that for me before. Yeah, that was tough. <laughs> It's like the, the social media post from your ex. Like, best vacation ever
1: with, with their new partner. Best, <laughs> best vacation ever. <laughs> oh my god. Well, you know what I mean. Well, I don't know. Like, I, I think I mean, it is I think you and I both, like, I haven't had an ex in no, like no, 20 no, years. No, no,
0: I've I've oh. been married for a long time. <laughs> So any any reference I make to, like, modern dating or anything is just completely, oh, yeah. like, based on just, like, snippets of conversation I've heard from
1: friends. I completely missed. <laughs> I'm, like, missed, trying to fill in the blanks. I completely missed the app dating era. 100%. I used the oldi- oldest dating service in the world when I met my wife, What's... which is friend of a friend <laughs> dating service. Hello, <laughs> yes. darkness, my old friend. What are you talking about? No, not us. I'm <laughs> happily married. <laughs> been with the same person for 15 years. It's been great. Uh, uh, very I still good. like them. Well, brag <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry
0: guys <laughs> uh anyways um 650 650 uh is uh is the Dunbar lumber text line uh this one came in earlier in the show we started off the show uh by playing uh, some audio from uh, sat and reach on canuck central with uh, sat you know talking about how the canucks yeah they're they're not shopping Demko or anything like that but they're open to it they're basically open to moving anyone other than Elias Petterson and Quinn Hughes that would include JT Miller now sat had the disclaimer that it's not as if they're looking to dump miller for anything they would still want assets back if they were going to consider that. And this text comes in, uh, you guys led with Sat discussing the Miller stuff. Uh, You made the comment on them not being able to get a first and a prospect, but you didn't validate if you think moving Miller is even possible. Is it? Would someone take that on uh, for a pick or a prospect? Not both. To me, JT Miller, like, the scenario, first of all, I don't think it's going to happen. Because contracts like that rarely move. I think if you take back money. The the model for me would be worse player on an inefficient contract for shorter term, like that's that's the starting point of a JT Miller deal. So you're talking about a reverse OEL, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. And no, I mean that's that's the and now maybe and then there's you know you can add in assets or whatever on either side of that to make would, to make the valuation work. But that's Pittsburgh, the starting
1: framework. Would Pittsburgh consider Kapanen and Zucker? That's basically cap neutral. For this year, and then it's one more year of cap capping in after? Yeah. More wingers, now, baby. I, more wingers. How many wingers can one team have? Step right up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would do that because it's only one more year of
0: cap commitment.
1: Right? You're not it's not like you're taking back somebody who's got three years and eight million left. Oh, I, I think it's a no brainer for like I think the Canucks would win that deal every time out. Just because it's an interesting one. And though. it's not it's not because Miller isn't good. It's because Miller's not likely to be at the peak of his powers while this team is good, right? Mm-hmm. Like again, this has never been about the player, right? My my criticism of the well, steel has never. The been one about thing
0: the player. it is about in respect to him is the wing versus center thing. That that's the major thing because it does the. No, the, I don't. I actually don't think so. No, it does change the calculation.
1: Otherwise, otherwise, so because the criticism would still exist if they traded Miller and extended Horvat. From me, anyway. Yeah, sure, but I, I would do, still be saying think, this doesn't make sense. But for it's, me, it's not positional. The at all. contract
0: becomes more inefficient if it's a winger than a center. It just does, right? Because centers get paid more. Centers are worth more. So it's not. not, not it sure. doesn't. Compl- it doesn't change it to all of a sudden it's the correct decision. I, if I just he's think center.
1: I think it's purely a timeline thing. Miller might have been the right player for this team. He certainly was when he was first acquired. But he was the wrong. He, he was the. He was the at the wrong time when they extended him. Like by the time they extended him, it didn't make sense given his age and where he's at.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think like I would do that trade. The Pittsburgh example is interesting because they are, you know, you have to find a team obviously that is highly, highly motivated to win in the very near term. And obviously Pittsburgh with Crosby and Malkin and Latang fits that bill. I don't know that Ron Hextall has necessarily shown like the propensity for that kind of big bold swing even though they are trying to squeeze the last years they can out of uh, out of that incredible core but it's at least like you can see the logic on their hand somebody texted in uh Ryan Johansson coming back from Nashville like that's that's the type of contract I'm probably looking at right you know he's also 30 8 million for two more years beyond this one so it's cap neutral in the near term but you're obviously getting Uh, you're getting out of the really the long risk at the end of JT Miller's deal. And I know another one that has come up a lot recently uh, is Vegas because Mark Stone uh, is injured, probably going on LTIR. They're going to have a whole bunch of cap space to work with going into the playoffs as a result of that. They like to go big game hunting. They're not afraid of making a big splash and figuring out the salary cap math later, but I don't see them having... The deal that would make sense for the Canucks to take back in return. So I think that's really the the sticking point on Vegas for me when we're talking about like what who who would make sense, who would be interested in JT
1: Miller if the 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 Vegas one is interesting. Again, I don't expect JT Miller. No, I would not. Um, But look, if the Canucks are at the point where they're considering Thatcher Demko, you'd have to be considering something like this, right? You you get to the point pretty quickly where if the Canucks like. Put it this way, you know. At the risk of sounding positive, <laughs> okay, if you do Luke Shen for a second, okay, and you do Demko for a first plus, and you get off of Miller with no more than you know, with like a an expiring and or a non expiring, but that's up after next season, mm-hmm. and you go into this draft class with all of a sudden, based on what I've just laid out. Nine picks in the top four rounds. Nine picks in the top four rounds and like an enormous amount of cap space coming after next season. With a bunch of interesting U25 guys. Now, most of them are wingers, but still like Pod Colson, Pedersen, Hughes, Hoaglander, Ratu, Mm -hmm. plus three guys in the first round of this year or, or anyway, four four guys in the next two years in the first round plus two second rounders. I mean, now you're beginning to look like a team that has a real direction.
0: Yeah, and again, I think that... that, that type I of, mean, that would be ma- massive. That type of framework opens up the improving quickly possibilities because you have all of the flexibility and because you have the young assets. And I, I know people kind of get worried, right? When they talk with hear talk about improving quickly, that it's going to be really like ill-considered and, you know, it's going to mean trading seconds for Lyndon Bay and things like that. But that was the experience with the Canucks in trying to improve quickly. I think there are ways that you can try to improve quickly, but in a more disciplined, focused, rational way that doesn't end up shooting yourself in the foot. So I don't think that should be like, a verboten concept <laughs> necessarily. I think that's one of the reasons you're getting that cap space is so you can take advantage of the opportunities as they come along. Uh, Leaf Hater Steve says, If the Canucks were offered a first and a prospect for Miller, I'd be happy as heck. I'd be happy with a third and a bucket of pucks. And I just think, yeah, at this point, Miller, it's so much more about salaries going each way, right? The team getting the other team giving you back something, you getting off the Miller salary than it is about returns in terms of prospects in terms of assets and again that's all assuming that teams are even interested in trading for him at the deadline this year because don't forget he's got that signing bonus still to come uh that kicks in sometime in the summer as well 650 650 is the dunbar lumber text message inbox Uh, this person what what prospect would new jersey and or minnesota
1: Give up for Besser? Thanks. I enjoy the show. Well, did you see that the new Minnesota Wild ranked as the top I did prospect see and system? New, new Jersey
0: number two, I believe, for as per uh, yikes, per Scott Wheeler at the Athletic.
1: Both playoff teams too.
0: Good, mm-hmm. good stuff. Very good position to be in. Yeah. Um. Again, with Besser, it's not about the return per se. Like I know there's people have argued like, hey, he's the talent is such that you can't just. You
1: can't do the deal just to get off the deal. Well, I like the the problem is is that the best uh, trading Besser at all doesn't make sense. Like I don't mean to. Uh, he has so little value. You need good players, ideally players who the fan base quite likes, for the inevitable down years that are coming. Like Besser doesn't have value, so why would he be at the top of your range? Like this was built into the Kuzmenko should be dealt pitch was like, what are the Canucks winning in the next two years anyway? Why wouldn't you trade the guy who has value and keep the guy who doesn't while well, you're not good? You know, I still I still don't understand the logic of a Besser or a Garland trade or, or, or buyouts on either. Well, because I just don't expect much from this team over the next two years anyway. So you might as well try to resuscitate their value. You might as well, time is an asset. Right. In in addition to everything else, time is an asset. Like you think about the Oliver Ekman Larson trade Mm -hmm. from Arizona's perspective, right? The Canucks didn't have time. Jim Benning certainly didn't have time. Make the playoffs or else. The Coyotes, though, had time. They were waving the white flag. So they were able to trade, you know, relative freedom in a year for a seven year commitment. Like time is an asset if you have it. And the Canucks have it. If they're willing to accept what they are and what it's going to take to get back to where time's not, where where the clock is ticking on your group. Clock's not ticking on this Canucks team. They have real time to upload (laughs) a contending team. They have real time here. So, you know, for me anyway, that would suggest strongly, like, Besser, for example, has an extra year on his deal than Beauvillier. Right? So... Beauvilliers is a guy who should have real trade value at the deadline next season as an expiring deal. That's an interesting option for you. Besser's two years out from that, but what what's the rush? To me, the rush is that
0: there's value in having the cap space. Now, there's value going into this summer having cap space. Now, that's predicated on using the cap space in a future oriented way it's right. yeah, so not i'm not saying it's valuable because then you can go out and sign your replacement well, which, which for br- brock besser which, it's valuable because you can take on a bad contract for a draft pick and that has value in the moment like you're right that time time is an asset but getting things in the here and now has value as well and sure. that that's the big argument to me the other thing is well, but if the if the situation has you, 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 deteriorated with Brock Besser, how, realistically, how much is he going to repair his value here, right? So are you kind of holding on out of pure hope versus, you know, that, hey, maybe his value gets back and we're able to cash in a little bit more in the future. Like, that is a possibility, well, but, but you got to balance the reality of that versus get the calf space in hand right now.
1: Well, it, like, first of all, if you commit to playing him with Pedersen for a full season, I mean, look at what McKay has done with, Peterson, you know, if you're if you're insisting on playing him third line minutes with, you know, Sheldon Drys and Vasily Podkolzin and or Sheldon Drys and Dakota Joshua, then how much is he going to rebuild his value? Not much. If you carve out a role for him on the half wall of PP one and put him with Pedersen at five on five, I think it's I don't think it's hope. I think it's like yeah, of course he'll score there. Like you don't think he's capable of scoring no, no. if score they design. there. He'll score
0: there for sure. But it's the it's. How much how much is the value going to increase and does that outweigh the value of going into this summer with that cap space? But I mean
1: the value That's of, it. The I- value of going into the offseason with that cap space for what? You know, like well, a, yes. in a world in a world where the Canucks are doing things like trading Thatcher Demko and then juicing the return on Demko by taking on Anton Hadobin from the stars for an additional pick that helps them make a deadline move. Then, yeah, then that cap space is super valuable. Well, that's
0: what I'm saying. It's really predicated on what are you going are, to do with that this, cap space. Right. Is the club going to use it right? Yeah, and that's where the, like, to me, the, trading Brock Besser now and buying out Connor Garland are, like, completely different considerations.
1: Well, well, and me and Min and Harmon are going to write about this today, or tomorrow, so we'll talk about it more. But it's like the perfect Luke Shen trade, for example, is like, say Luke Shen's market value is a second. Let's just say that. Yeah. As a hypothetical. Or a third, whatever. Can you get Boston to upgrade the pick by a round? If you take back Mike Riley, who's got $3 million this year and next, and is buried below the line for them in the AHL. Because Mike Riley might be your second pair lefty, and he specifically yeah. addresses your issue. And if you're able to play him significant minutes in the NHL, maybe rebuild his value, maybe retain half a year from now, can you get an additional asset next? Like, that's how... If the Canucks are using cap space like that, then I see your logic. Yep. Now... but. but when they've never used cap space like that but that like that
0: has to be a part of the process at some point oh it it should be it should be um yeah and to me that's not <laughs> like right. a, that's not an argument for extending things like that's how you get better f- quicker that speeds up the oh, process for sure. if oh, you're for sure. willing to
1: use it that way other teams trash can be your treasure look at Sean
0: Monahan and so i do think like yes the the better cap space only has its ultimate value if you're willing to explore things like that now To kind of counter my own argument a little bit, the reason that I don't think he's going to rebuild his value as much as you might is that they haven't shown a willingness to really go all in on rebuilding his value to carve out that sort of role for him. And that speaks to – like, to me, the using the cap space for the future and trying to rehabilitate Brock Bester's value – those come from the same place. Those come from the same motivation. Those are like similar ways of looking about how you're going to go about fixing this team. So if you're not willing to do one, which is do everything you can to rebuild Besser's trade value, realistically, how willing are you to do the other? Like That That would be my, my counter-argument to myself here. I still think that there's a possibility that with Besser right now, they just look at it as, hey, this is going to be wrapped up in three weeks. We're going to move on from him. We're going to have the cap space. And it doesn't mean that they're unwilling to use that cap space to do smart things, to set themselves up for the future. But yeah, it's like, if you're,
1: if you, if you were approaching the problem from that perspective,
3: I'd use, wouldn't you
1: do the better stuff that you're talking about? Well, I mean, if you're talking about that, then I would probably be looking at trying to bundle Besser with one of my more valuable assets. So like, you know, we've we brought up Pittsburgh hypotheticals. I love hypotheticals. So this They're is all great. Just, this is all just like absolute fantasy hockey garbage, but it's to illustrate concepts, right? More than anything. We're not, this isn't reporting. This isn't even informed speculation. This is just us having fun noodling my, on the radio. My speculation is never informed. No. I just want to put that out there for everyone. A permanent disclaimer my, mine, on, mine on is, on my speculation. Mine is on occasion. So this time I'm going to specify that this is just, so, you know, we brought up the Zucker Kapanen thing as an example. Right? Um so Zucker, Kapanen, and Tristan Jari totals eleven million, right? Or just over mm-hmm. almost twelve million, which would be a very close match with Besser and Demko's combined salary. So instead of getting the pick or whatever, like Pittsburgh has their first and their second, instead of getting the first for Demco, are you willing to take the second? But it gets you off of Brock Besser's deal. No, because I think you can
0: I think you can do better than that. Not better than a second, but like I think you can get off Brock Besser, not taking much return back, and then you do a Demko deal for more assets separately from that. I don't think you need Demko to juice the Besser return like
1: that. I see, I think you probably do if you're talking about freeing up six point six. I think you're taking money back one way or the other. Yeah. To me it would be like can you And can that's you ta- why like I don't yeah. even think you can deal Besser before the deadline. I think most likely he finishes the season here and it's an off-season move in which the Canucks take back another bad deal for a different player. Right? Like I think that's the most likely outcome here. So I don't really factor cap space as being a big part of the logic of dealing Besser. Sure. I think you're probably taking money back one way or the other when you do that trade. So why not If if you're if you're saying the cap space is going to be at a premium because you're using it in a in a way to juice your returns and add future assets, I'm I'm all for that plan. But in which case, I would consider bundling one of my negative value assets with one of my positive value assets, which is again just stealing a a page from Bill Armstrong's "Get Off of OEL with Garland" playbook, right? I mean, either way, you're basically just looking at concepts that illustrate or that further sort of indict some of the errors that this club has made over the course of the past five years. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it really it really comes down to It sucks.
0: It really comes down to like how distressed is Brockbesser at the moment. The devil's right? model,
1: the Ranger's model, <laughs> or the Canucks what not to do model. <laughs> yes. Right? People say we don't bring up what the Canucks do well often enough. They need to do the George Costanza plan. Just they do off- the opposite. They offer us a manual of what not to do.
0: Uh that's gonna do it for us. Thanks for all the text. Thanks for all the interaction. We'll be back tomorrow uh, for more Canucks talk here on SportsNet 650. Alright, it's time for the people's picks brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports brought